I see something telling me that the broadcast is live right now, and I'm even going to get something that's going to monitor it a little bit more. So welcome. If you are here, put it inside of the chat. Now, I have made an, an agreement right now that if all those tuning in at this very moment, if you will hit share on your Facebook walls, whatever other social media, for all of you rebellious people with your Telegram and Signal chats, Go ahead and post it in there because if we set a new record for the amount of people that are tuning in live, I do possess on the wall that you can't see immediately behind this monitor, which I'm watching, I have a variety of guitars. And I am willing, nay, even eager to play you some music, perhaps Book of Mormon stories in a rockabilly style that brings it to a whole new level. Not necessarily a good thing, but definitely a thing. My name is Jacob Isbell. I welcome all of you out to the Doctrine of Christ stream tonight. Again, do your part right now to share this. The topic for tonight is willing to make these things known unto all flesh. We know it is particular times that we live in. We've seen the storm clouds gather all around, and some people years ago, some people in recent months, if not days, have been going through the waking up process. It is discombobulating to say the least, and it forces us to ask ourselves, what is going on? I've met with people even just this last weekend who feel like, I don't know what to do. It feels like spiritual radio silence. Others who feel like this is the most amount of light that I've recognized from God in my entire life, and they're feeling a level of enthusiasm. There's going to be a reoccurring theme I'm going to be showing you right now on my screen, which I hope you are seeing, and, and Mark, who's working the magic from behind the scenes, let's just make sure that it is showing the scriptures that I'm pulling up right now. In Doctrine and Covenants, section 1. Verse 34, this is going to be the reoccurring theme as we open up a number of things. And again, verily, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, say unto you, O inhabitants of the earth, I, the Lord, am willing to make these things known unto all flesh, for I am no respecter of persons. What things is it? The times that we are in right now. There's going to be some significant focus on Doctrine and Covenants section one. Boom, it's one of these great kickoff sections and chapters regarding our days. There's going to be significant focus upon, let's open up to 1 Nephi chapter 1. This is going to be another one where we put significant focus. Once again, the very first chapter of the Book of Mormon. Again, this is an amazing kickoff scripture that we have for us, and the Lord's willing to make it known unto us. Another one, we're going Old Testament. We're going to be going over to Isaiah. And which chapter? Chapter 1. Again, these are all things which happened, well, the second two, 1 Nephi chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 1. It happened centuries ago. Heck, uh, both of these are 2,000 plus years ago, and yet they're calling to us from the dust. The Lord promises us again in our day to all the inhabitants of the earth. I'm guessing if you're tuning in, you are among those who qualify as an inhabitant of the earth. I, the Lord, am willing to make these things known unto you. I'm no respecter of persons. So let's go ahead and do a little bit of this. Doctrine and Covenants, section one. This is in our day. You know what? Let us not start there. Let's start with the oldest one first. Isaiah chapter one. Now, I went through a waking up process like many people that I know. If you're tuning in, you're probably going through this waking up process, or maybe y'all fully awake. Not woke, but fully awake. 
when I read Isaiah chapter one, after waking up to a greater degree to the secret combinations and the awful situation in which we find ourselves, all of a sudden Isaiah chapter one hit a whole new meaning. Before we do Isaiah one, let's get a little bit of foundation on why Isaiah is essential. Isaiah chapter one is meant to be, if the only thing that you're gonna do is read chapter one and give up, let's do this. Oh, it's showing both my screens, so I'm gonna do this. Isaiah chapter one. The Lord knows what our habit is. I know that we as people, if you're anything like me, there's been many times, if not dozen times, when you felt a certain level of enthusiasm to jump into the scriptures, you start at the beginning, you get a little ways, and perhaps the laziness sets in, the habits die off of reading the scriptures, so we end up reading the first chapters over and over and over again. That's part of why I'm choosing these sections, Doctrine and Covenant section one, first Nephi chapter one, and Isaiah chapter one. But let's get a little bit of lead up to this. Right now, I'm opening up to third Nephi chapter 23 to give a little bit of importance to what it is that we're about to read right now. The Savior Jesus Christ is now amongst a group of Nephites who have all received the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost. Angels have come down from heaven and ministered unto them. The disciples who Jesus Christ called among the Nephites say exactly the words that Jesus commands them to say as they go through the ordinance of receiving the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost. Now they're united. The Savior Jesus Christ comes unto them. The chapter before, the Savior spends a whole chapter quoting Isaiah, and then Jesus Christ says, and now behold, I... Jesus Christ, say unto you that ye ought to search these things. What things? Isaiah. Yea, a commandment I give unto you that ye search these things diligently, not passively, not just for amusement, diligently. For great are the words of Isaiah. For surely he, Isaiah, spake as touching all things concerning my people, which are of the house of Israel. Okay, that makes sense, because Isaiah is an ancient book. He's talking about the house of Israel anciently. Therefore, it must needs be that he, Isaiah, must speak also to the Gentiles. If this is anything but the first Doctrine of Christ podcast that you've been tuning into, you almost certainly have heard the Gentiles, especially in reference to the covenants in the Book of Mormon, are referencing the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So this can accurately be understood as Isaiah spake as touching all things concerning my people, the house of Israel anciently. Therefore, it must needs be also that he speaks to the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And here's why it is so important. And all things that Isaiah spake have been and shall be. Let's just say it a different way. Whatever Isaiah said, it already happened, and it's about to repeat. I want to remind you, the promise the Lord gives, is it really going to repeat? The Lord says, O inhabitants of the earth, you want to know if the words of Isaiah are about to repeat? I, the Lord, am willing to make these things known. What things? All the things of the scriptures. One of my favorite quotes from Joseph Smith. I love it. I, I remember the first time I think I remember reading it was in the teachings of the presidents of the church. Joseph Smith has a particularly long manual, but he says, there is nothing that the Lord has revealed to Brother Joseph that won't be revealed unto the least who can call themselves saints as soon as they are able to bear it. 
Well, there's a prophet of God saying such a thing. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ through that same prophet saying, I'm willing to make these things known unto all of you. Every single person on the call, every single one of your family members, every single one of your bishops or branch presidents or stake presidents, every single one. I'm going to beat that dead horse because it's pretty exciting. All things which Isaiah spoke have been and shall be. There's something that I like to do. When I read Isaiah chapter one, it stuck out and it was a pretty neat experience. It started to slap me awake. It felt like a spiritual training session. If any of you remember the, uh, the training montages from the different Rocky movies where he's getting hit in the stomach as he's doing his sit-ups, it's a pretty impressive uh, montage that he puts there as he gets ready for the great battle. When I would read this, among other things, I would feel that kind of slapping awake, waking me up, bam, hitting me and saying, Jacob, are you paying attention? Is this going to happen? Before we do a deeper dive into this, Isaiah chapter one, would you like me to give you the 45 second version? You can, you can go ahead and set your timers. See if I can keep it under 45 seconds. Thus saith the Lord your God, I have nourished children and they have all rebelled against me, every single one of them. What is their great sin? They do not know me. They've forsaken me. Every single one of you, you are in full-blown apostasy from the head of you, even down to the base of you. None of you is bound up. Your cities will be left completely desolate, burned by fire. Strangers will overthrow it in your presence, and you can do nothing to stop it. The daughter of Zion is left behind to be taken advantage of by the new invaders. Unless the Lord was going to be sending back a small remnant who will repent and return, you'd be as Sodom as Gomorrah. Your leaders are like the rulers of Sodom. You people are like the people of Gomorrah. Your temple sacrifices are an abomination to me. No more offerings, no more blood of bullocks. Who required this? Your religious Sabbaths and celebrations, I want none of it. My soul hateth it. When you pray unto me with your arms raised, I will close my eyes and shut my ears. But Let's put it to the test. The Lord promises, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you're willing to hearken unto my voice and be obedient, you'll have the good of the land. But if you don't, you will be ashamed of those that you've chosen to rule over you. You'll be confounded. You'll be as a leaf that fadeth. And altogether, you'll be burnt. That's just chapter one. Well, goodness gracious, doesn't this just apply to those anciently? What did the Savior tell us? Yeah, he spoke to the house of Israel anciently. But now it must be, must needs be that he speaks unto the Gentiles. It's us. It's the members of church of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. What's going to happen with Isaiah? Because he spoke of the complete destruction of the Lord's ancient people, now that the Gentiles have the opportunity to embrace the fullness of the gospel, to enter into the new and everlasting covenant, to receive the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost and follow the doctrine of Christ until we know Jesus Christ in this life and follow his voice directly until he presents us unto the Father. Because that opportunity is ours now, this is about to be fulfilled once again. What everything Isaiah said, unless we ourselves repent the question that i like to ask is repent of what 
What's the great thing? The Lord says, you don't know me. That's what we must consider. All right, so let's go a little bit more into the future. That happened, Isaiah gave that around 700 years before the time of Christ, staring at us today. And I'll bear my witness, I felt the Spirit more times than I can remember, and a level of light as I read the Scriptures, knowing that this is meant for us. What about another first chapter inside of the Scriptures? The first book of Nephi, his reign and his ministry. Let's do a little bit of something. What are the conditions? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with this, because I like us to think of it this way. What were the circumstances of God's people in the very first chapter of the Book of Mormon? And remember, the commandment that we have to liken these things unto ourselves. What were the circumstances? 600 BC, the time of Lehi in the Book of Mormon, the time of Jeremiah in the Book of Mormon. Well, we've got millions of covenant people in the same nation. These covenant people of the Lord have a long history of prophets. They have a long history of prophesying among them. Jesus, Louise, they're filling up books full of scripture. They've got a great history of miraculous intervention from God on behalf of the people. The nation is powerful. It's the envy of the world, seemingly invulnerable to foreign adversaries. Now, here's all the icing on the cake. The temple is at the heart of the nation with temple ordinances happening day and night, sacrifices going on all hours of the day. The recognized and established leaders of the church are the most respected and powerful men in the entire nation. The members of the church throughout the nation, they enthusiastically keep the religious traditions taught to them by their leaders. Jeez Louise, everything's looking pretty good. And we'll see how many more Jeez Louises I can get in throughout here. In the comments, you need to keep track of how many times. I know that's been at least twice. Let's not forget how many times. I don't want to distract too much. Here we go. So with all of this happening right here, covenant people of the Lord, boom, prophets prophesying. What's about to happen? God is about to deliver all of them, all of them, all of them to death, to destruction, to enslavement, unless they repent of their wickedness. Are you serious? But we're God's people. I went to the temple twice today. I got my recommend signed. What do you mean I'm about to, to be destroyed? Remember, the Savior says everything that Isaiah says, and heck, all of these prophets, they're put inside of the scriptures as a pattern and a type for us to say, Heavenly Father, something pricked me in my heart. Does that apply to me today? And the Lord says, I'm willing to make it known unto you. Just ask me. So again, when Isaiah says, you don't know me. Your cities are going to be destroyed. Foreigners are going to take over. Your women will be left behind. You'll have nothing left. The Lord's willing to make it known unto you and still offers you an opportunity to repent. First Nephi chapter 1. Let's take a little bit of what's going on here. We don't have the book of Lehi, the 116 pages. I, I look forward to the day when we will have it again, when we exercise the level of faith that the Lord will bring forth additional scriptures because I suspect that this was a great difficulty for Lehi. Now, there's a question that I want you to, to ask yourselves. I, I think oftentimes we can understand if we ask ourselves the right questions. Imagine this, if you were a temple worker in the days of Lehi and Jeremiah, and you heard both of those prophets say, the nation's about to be destroyed for wickedness, would you have believed them? I love this question. I've got a buddy, and I actually uh, invited him to be here tonight. We'll see if he ends up joining the live stream. 
He's currently a bishop in the in the southern part of the Salt Lake Valley. We were missionary companions together, asking people to start in the Book of Mormon and read First Nephi chapter one. And now we have to ask ourselves. If you were a temple worker in the days of Lehi and Jeremiah, they said it's going to be destroyed because of wickedness. Would you have believed them? And even ask yourself, I'm going to write another question. How would you have known that Lehi and Jeremiah were slash are true? God. We are commanded to ask ourselves these sort of questions in order for the Spirit to be able to start working with us. We have to humbly present our hearts and our minds with these kind of questions and ask Heavenly Father, how would I have known? What would the pattern have been? I want to bring us a little bit to another scripture, which which gives some wonderfully rather condensed, but just amazing promises regarding the doctrine of Jesus Christ. My friend, Jeff Griffin, who taught last week, he brought this up during his presentation and brought it up again right now. Section 93 to the doctrine of covenants. This is in 1833 as the Lord's reaching out to the Latter-day Saints. The Lord says, it shall come to pass that every soul who forsakes his sins and cometh to me and calleth on my name and obeyeth my voice and keepeth my commandments, there's the formula, shall see my face and know that I am. This is something far greater than the testimony of an angel or saying, I believe where I felt the spirit. See the face of the Lord. Know that I am, that I am the light and the life of the world. What is it? Well, let me ask this shall see my face, shall know that I am. What was the great wickedness that Isaiah is screaming at us, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that we are guilty of? We don't know him. We don't know him. And yet the Lord says to his covenant people, if you forsake your sins, if you come unto me, call on my name and obey my voice and keep my commandments, you shall see my face and know that I am. What keeps us from it? Let's go down a little bit more because there are some very specific things that keep us from it. Where is it? Ah, here we go in verse 39. I just didn't have it marked before him, but this is what I'm looking about. The wicked one cometh and taketh away light and truth through disobedience from the children of men and because of the traditions of their fathers. Boom. I've got it marked now so I can find it again easier right now. So what are these false traditions? What were the false traditions of Lehi's people? We know through sad history, people crying from the dust from us in the Book of Mormon, doesn't matter that there was millions of people in the same nation with a long history of prophets and prophesying, miraculous interventions, powerful nation, the temple. They were wicked. And now we have to ask ourselves, Heavenly Father, but I'm going to church every single week. I sing in the choir. I got my temple recommend signed. I had family home evening. And all of a sudden, we have to ask, hey, do I actually know the Lord? I think about when the Savior taught us, 
And it's a painful truth that we have to come to recognize. I'm opening up right now. In chapter 13, I think it's 14. Ah, there we go. There's going to be people who come to the Lord in that day, and they say, Lord, Lord, haven't we prophesied in thy name? In thy name cast out devils, done many wonderful works, gone to the temple, sang in the choir, went to general conference every single week, said what the elders, quorum president, whatever it may be that we present to the Lord saying, didn't I do all of these things? Heavenly Father, aren't I part of this great nation keeping all of these traditions diligently, fervently? Didn't I bring this many dinners and cookies to people that were on my ministering lists? Then will I, the Lord, profess unto them, never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Well, geez, Louise, if we can do all that, and we're still considered wicked? What chance do we have? And I ask this of myself. It does bring emotions to the surface as, I reckon, as, I'm, as I'm reminded again, my lost and fallen state. I've been following these traditions enthusiastically for decades. What lack I yet? He gives us some pretty clear instructions. He tells us, all right, every soul, you, Jacob, you, John, you, Jimmy, you, Sue, whatever your names are, Jesus Christ is saying to you, if you forsake your sins, if you've already felt what things to leave behind, and call on my name, and I wish to give a little bit of commentary, we call with that broken heart and contrite spirit. What does that mean? In other words, how do we present ourselves through prayer, sincerely, in a way that unlocks the heavens? I asked that question, and my mind got brought back to something that happened just a little bit ago. I got a beautiful little girl. She was about four years old at the time. Cutest little thing. One of the greatest blessings I've received in this world is a daughter. And I remember she was running in the hall. She stubbed her toe. It was something insignificant in the long scheme of things. It was an injury which she would not even be able to notice 15 minutes down the road, if that. And yet she collapses to the ground because of the pain. She called on my name saying, Daddy, will you carry me? It doesn't matter that I saw the bigger picture and that she was going to be just fine. My heart melted and reached out to this little ball of love who was in pathetic, <laughs> crying out unto me, and I carried her where she needed to be, and I consoled her. We are to humble ourselves as a little child and call upon our Father in that way. So every one of us who forsakes our sins calleth upon the Lord with childlike broken heart. Father, will you carry me? And then obey his voice. He will comfort us right then. I bear my witness of that, having received it multiple times throughout my life. And then he's going to say, here's your next step. Maybe he will show unto us an idol that we've placed before him. And now, when he shows it to us, we keep the commandments that he gives. These things are a process over and over again until the culmination of shall see the face of Jesus Christ and know that I am. Is it really that simple? And is it really that difficult? If it was something easy, 
people would already be having angels minister unto them because you would be associated with the Savior Jesus Christ just the same as them. But we got to learn how to do it for ourselves. Forsake our sins. Come unto Jesus Christ. Call in his name. Obey his voice. Keep his commandments. That's how we get out from under the sins which are leading us, the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and any who are any of the Gentiles who are waking up to our awful situation, you get out from under the curse by coming unto the Lord with that broken heart and contrite spirit. So what happens in 1 Nephi chapter 1? We know that the religious leaders of the day, they're leading people to damnation, quite literally to be destroyed. Capital D, kaboom, adios. You're going to be let out. Your temple's going to be nothing. Foreigners are going to take it all. And yet, Lehi, here's the voice of a prophet, likely Jeremiah. And maybe he's saying to himself, wait a second, didn't I just sing in the choir again? I served in the temple and I brought my sacrifices. I even brought my children. I did family home evening. Laman prepared the, the activity after the family home evening. I don't know how it was. But Lehi was willing to say, goodness gracious. Does this apply to me? Lehi prayed unto the Lord. There came a pillar of fire. It sounded a little bit like what happened to Moses back in the day. And Lehi saw and heard much. And because of the things which Lehi saw and heard, it caused him to quake and tremble exceedingly. Does it sound a little bit different than the process we tend, we tend to go through of looking up a couple of scriptures and getting some quotes from a general conference talk? Lehi saw it for himself. Think about this, how the process works. An actual prophet of God called into the presence of God. Somebody with whom the Lord said, Jeremiah, before I knew thee, before, I, before thou was born, before I formed thee in the belly, I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. And Jeremiah is shown the destruction of Jerusalem. Now Lehi is praying about it, and he sees and he hears much. He gets up from this being overcome with the Spirit, with the things which he had seen and heard. And thus being overcome with the Spirit, he, Lehi, was carried away into a vision. Think about, the, think about this. The Lord saying, Lehi, I'm not done with you yet. That was round number one. And Lehi saw the heavens open. And he thought he saw God sitting on his throne, surrounded with numberless concourses of angels, and one descending out of the midst of heaven. And Lehi beheld that the one descending out of the midst of heaven his luster was above the sun at noonday. He also saw 12 others. In other words, prophets of God go through the same pattern of learning through revelation and vision for themselves from time to time. I, I don't even want to say from time to time. For those who continue to listen and follow the commandments that they receive from God, they're taken into the high heaven and shown these things for themselves in the presence of Jesus Christ. Lehi is having one of his preliminary visionary experiences where God shows him these things. And what else does he see after he becomes a witness in vision of the ministry of Jesus Christ and the 12 apostles? A, a true prophet of God sees this. Now an angel came down and stood before my father and gave unto my father Lehi a book and, bed, and bade him that he should read. Lehi reads it, and it says, Woe, woe unto Jerusalem. For I have seen your abominations. Many things did my father read concerning Jerusalem. This is why I get a little bit bothered that we don't have the book of Lehi. Gosh darn that. Uh, 
what's his name, Martin Harris for, for pursuing getting that manuscript. Oh, well. Well, we, we have this. And again, the Lord's willing to make all of these things known unto us. So the book that Lehi saw in vision that the nation is about to be destroyed and the inhabitants thereof would either perish by the sword or get carried away captive into Babylon? Is that a type and shadow of what the Latter-day Saints and all members of the United States, these Gentiles who have been so protected and blessed by the hand of the Lord, are they staring it in the face now? The Lord's telling you, ask me, because I'm willing to make it known unto you. When I think about this promise in Doctrine and Covenants section 93, we are promised that we can, and we're shown the steps, how to see the face of the Lord and know that he is. When I was a young missionary, I do have to say I was a particularly well-prepared missionary, an abnormally enthusiastic missionary, having done all kinds of reading and studying, and I wanted to know the Savior, Jesus Christ. For some reason, I didn't believe that it was going to happen to me in this life, but I might know others that know him. And when I would hear, when I would, when I would think about being able to spend some time with one of the members of the Quorum of the Twelve leading the corporation known as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, it would get me emotional as I would think to myself, man, how amazing to be among them. Because then I would finally be among somebody who knows the Savior, Jesus Christ. There's some things that we must understand. Know these things for ourselves. We are commanded by Jesus Christ to wake up to a sense of our awful situation, to actually know what's going on. Well, what is a true apostle of Jesus Christ? I'm going to take you right now to the Apostolic Commission. Oliver Cowdery, who is a witness of Jesus Christ, along with Joseph Smith, Sidney Rigdon, and a handful of others. When the church fell under condemnation, a new quorum of the Twelve was called, and they were given the commission to become actual apostles, since they were not yet, though they had the ecclesiastical title of apostles. Their commission says, it is necessary that you receive a testimony from the heavens to yourselves so that you can bear testimony of the truth of Book of Mormon and that you have seen the face of God. That is more than the testimony of an angel. When the proper time arrives, you, newly called apostles, led by President Brigham Young, you shall be able to bear this testimony to the world. When you bear that you have seen, when you bear testimony that you have seen the face of God, this testimony will never suffer to fall, but will bear you out. Although many will not give heed, yet others will. That's a pattern right there. Few people repent because they recognize the truth of somebody who's a true witness, while most people will not give heed. They'll harden their hearts. You, newly called apostles, therefore must see the necessity of getting this testimony from heaven. Never cease striving until you have seen God face to face. Strengthen your faith. Cast off your doubts and your sins, your unbelief, and nothing can prevent you from coming to God. Does that sound like some words that we've been asked to do right now? Come unto the Lord right now. Your ordination as apostles is not full and complete till God has laid his hand upon you. 
Now we have to ask ourselves, those that call themselves apostles today, is their ordination full and complete? I will remind you, not one of them has ever testified of a direct encounter with Jesus Christ. Not one. There's a reason why. We're going to do a scripture chain somewhat quickly because I want to focus on these kickoff chapters, but we need to understand this right now. The Latter-day Saints were told, you're going to be going through something. I'm opening it up right now to 3 Nephi chapter 16, and I want to put the emphasis on this. The glorified, resurrected Jesus Christ teaches us in the name of the Father. It does not get more authoritative than this. And I'm going to be inserting some titles that are accurate. And again, if you want to know if they're accurate, remember the Lord tells you he's willing to make it known unto you. So I'm going to bear my testimony. What we're about to read and the insertions that I'm giving right now, I have prayed to know if my heavenly Father would support me that this is true, what I'm about to share with you. Thus commanded the Father that I, the glorified, resurrected Jesus Christ, should say unto you at that day when the Gentile members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints shall sin against my gospel and shall reject the fullness of my gospel and shall be lifted up in the pride of their hearts above all nations and above all the people of the whole earth and shall be filled with all manner of lines and of deceits and of mischiefs and all manner of hypocrisy and murders and priestcrafts and whoredoms and of secret abominations. If they shall do all those things, and reject the fullness of my gospel? Behold, saith the Father, I will bring the fullness of my gospel from among them. Jesus Louise, once again, the Latter-day Saints were told, when you're filled with wickedness, the same conditions that Isaiah told you that you would be filled with, the same level of wickedness which led to the great destruction of the people in Lehi's day in the very first chapter of Book of Mormon. The Lord Jesus Christ does not say if, he says when. When this happens, the fullness of the gospel gets taken from among you. What's that, the fullness of the gospel? I got a little guy, he's eight years old, and we've been talking about baptism. He's about to give his little line in the primary program in church in a couple of weeks from now. And I'm trying to think about a very short and simple way for him to teach the doctrine of Christ. So what's the fullness of the gospel? I just wrote this down before we started this presentation, and I believe it is simple enough and accurate enough that the, the Spirit can bear witness to you, and Jesus will continue to keep his promise that he's willing to make this known unto you. Willing to make what known? Jesus Christ invites us, and I'm thinking of my eight-year-old about to hopefully say something, probably shorten the first couple of principles in, in a sacrament meeting in a couple of weeks. The doctrine of Christ. Jesus invites us to enter into the new and everlasting covenant by offering him our broken heart and contrite spirit. We must follow Jesus Christ and be baptized by water as a symbol of our willingness to enter into the new and everlasting covenant which is offering God our broken heart and contrite spirit. When we enter into the new and everlasting covenant, Jesus promises to baptize us with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Then we must endure to the end, feasting upon the words of Christ. And Jesus Christ promises to manifest himself unto us in this life. Is that really the promise? If you're one, who might be called one of every soul, 
If you forsake your sins, come unto Jesus, call on his name, obey his voice, keep his commandments, you shall see his face. You shall know that he is. Just like anybody, no matter what their ecclesiastical position is, whether they call themselves apostles or not, their ordination is not full and complete until they've seen the face of God. If that's required for salvation for people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Adam and Eve, and others, is it any different for any of us? The Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you find yourself being one of those who's going to say, but Lord, Lord, didn't I already go to church for all this many years? Didn't I baptize my friend? Didn't I do all these great works? Isn't this my temple recommend right here? The Lord's going to say, you never knew me. Ye that work iniquity. What does it mean to work righteousness? To hear God's voice and to follow it. I think we can, we can trust in it being that simple. We hear his voice and we follow it. Okay. First Nephi chapter one. So when Lehi went forth and he spoke so many marvelous things concerning the destruction of Jerusalem, behold, Lehi went forth among the people. He began to prophesy and to declare unto them the things which he had both seen and heard. He's doing something different than I'm doing. I have not been called into the presence of the Lord. I'm exercising faith right now, relying upon truths that I've learned by the Holy Ghost to teach the scriptures, the words of actual prophets. Lehi is now in a different category of disciple. He's been risen up. Lehi isn't just expounding the scriptures. He's saying the things which he had seen and heard. The Jews anciently, just like the Latter-day Saints now, will mock the prophets. They mock in, in public. And then they plan his assassination in private. The Jews anciently, as well as the Latter-day Saints coming up, when there are once again servants called and sent forth, they will become angry with all the prophets of God, just like old times. They will cast them out. They will stone them. They will slay them. They will seek their lives. But just as Nephi's testimony will be shown that the tender mercies of the Lord are over all those whom God has chosen because of their faith to make them powerful even unto deliverance. How do we know that these men are true prophets? They will have a certain kind of witness they will bear, that they have seen the face of God, which is more than the testimony of an angel. All right. We've done a couple of ancient books. Let's stick with them the past 200 years. What has the Lord said unto us in these days? Doctrine and Covenants, section one. Hearken, O you people of my church. Say it the voice of him who dwells on high, whose eyes are upon all men. Yea, verily, I say, hearken, all ye people from afar. The voice of the Lord is unto all men. There is none to escape. The rebellious shall be pierced with much sorrow. Their iniquities shall be spoken upon the housetops, and their secret acts shall be revealed. Ooh, this is getting exciting. You realize we're about to kick off right now? I have to, let me go back a little bit. When I was a young missionary in Iowa, the Midwest, I still remember the town that I was at, and I, and I still remember the feelings. It was beautiful daytime because the sun was up early. It was summertime, and I was starting the Doctrine and Covenants. And as I read these words, and as I read so many of the things throughout the Doctrine and Covenants, 
in my personal study as this young missionary, quite less bearded than I am right now, I'd feel this excitement like, boom, it's about to kick off. And I knew this is different than my own enthusiasm and, and my ability to imagine what circumstances were really like. I would feel that build up as I would read these words. And I'd be left unto my own mind and I'd think, wait, this is 150 plus years ago, wasn't it? Did this happen? I don't know. Then I'd keep reading the Doctrine and Covenants over the course of those next few weeks. And every time that excitement would build up again. Guess what? It's because it's about to kick off now. It's at the doorsteps. So what is it that's about to be at the doorsteps? The secret acts of secret iniquities, whether it's leaders of nations and political realm, or whether it is wicked people who have taken over the Lord's vineyard, it all gets exposed. The voice of warning shall be unto all people by the mouths of my disciples whom I have chosen in these last days. Aren't we talking about Joseph Smith? and the other disciples chosen with them, aren't they all dead now? And haven't they been dead for quite some time? There's a principle which we must understand that's about to take place. And I want to give reference to uh, D-O-C Zombre, Z-O-M-B-R-E. Mark, if you're able to put a little plug for him, something that people can see visually or else, well, I'll make sure that links get sent out. He has a wonderful episode regarding the return of the servants. Is it going to be Joseph Smith? Is it going to be these same people? by the mouths of my disciples whom I've chosen in these last days. Isaiah has something to say about that. After the great wickedness that's happened, and the Lord makes things right again when he says, I shall purge away thy wickedness and thy false traditions, the Lord says, I will restore thy judges as at first and thy counselors as at the beginning. I want you to start, if, if this is the first time you've heard such a principle, let that seed be planted and start going through the process described in Alma chapter 32. Does it grow as you say, Heavenly Father? I heard that mentioned in a Zoom call. I heard somebody else mention it. I've now heard it more than once. Is that a true principle? And is it from you? See if it grows. When those servants are sent out once again, they're going to go forth. None shall stay them. This is mine authority and the authority of my servants. O ye inhabitants of the earth, fear and tremble. For what I, the Lord, have decreed in these commandments, referring to the doctrine and covenants, shall all be fulfilled. Verily I say unto you, that they who go forth, bearing these tidings, described in the scriptures of the doctrine and covenants, unto the inhabitants of the earth, to them is power given to seal both in earth and in heaven, the unbelieving and the rebellious. It's a different kind of ceiling that we typically hear about in the LDS Corporation. Yea, verily, these servants shall have power to seal them up unto the day when the wrath of God shall be poured out upon the wicked without measure, unto the day when the Lord shall come to recompense unto every man according to his work, and measure to every man according to the measure which he has measured to his fellow man. Wherefore, the voice of the Lord is unto all the ends of the earth. The anger of the Lord is kindled. His sword is bathed. This one's an important one. What are the circumstances that we find ourselves in? For they, all people, have strayed from mine ordinances, and they've broken mine everlasting covenant. I'm going to pause for a moment. 
I'll let you know something. I'll bring up a scripture right now. Let's go back to the, uh, I was about to do a scripture chain. Let's go right back to this. Doctrine and Covenants towards the end. Section 132. Well, this is now talking about the new and everlasting covenant. And it says it came forth in July 12, 1843. This is from Joseph Smith, isn't it? This is now the doctrine of having many wives and concubines. And everybody who receives this law, they have to re- obey it or else they'll be condemned. And he talks about this new and everlasting covenant. What's the new and everlasting covenant that's been given in this section? The doctrine of having many wives and concubines. What happened? I thought the new and everlasting covenant, if, if you've been tuning in for other things, the new and everlasting covenant is offering God your broken heart and contrite spirit. I'll let you know this. I'm going to give the very short version. The Latter-day Saints never saw this in 1843. It was not until September 14th, 1852, that Brigham Young had this section claiming to be from Joseph Smith published in the Deseret News, changing the new and everlasting covenant of offering God your broken heart and contrite spirit into the doctrine of having many wives and concubines. This is now the new and everlasting covenant, according to Brigham Young and those who took over the church. Jeez Louise. Can you be serious? The Lord saw it, and he's given us a chance to repent. Yeah, those who took over the church, they've strayed from the everlasting ordinances of the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost, and they've broken the everlasting covenant by changing it into something else. They seek not to... They seek not the Lord to establish his righteousness, but every man walks in his own way after the image of his own God. So what happened the first 30 years after the Latter-day Saints abandoned Zion that all these scriptures and the Doctrine of Covenants command in the heartland of America? They go a thousand miles to the West with no scriptures guiding them. No man who has ever seen the face of the Lord to guide them. And they walk in the image of their own way. And they get taught for decades in a row the new and everlasting covenants, the doctrine of having multiple wives and concubines. I'm not going to share the story because I don't feel inclined to, but I'm going to let you know I have learned for myself unmistakably that has never been the, the new and everlasting covenant. I've seen local leadership tremble as they're confronted with that truth, and they try to hold on to the lie that the doctrine of many wives and concubines is the new and everlasting covenant because the Lord will not support them. And they know that they're condemning themselves by holding on to that level of darkness. But great things are about to happen. The fullness of the Lord's gospel will be proclaimed by the weak and simple. It's not going to be proclaimed by people with amazing Babylonian resumes who sit in Moses's seat in crushed velvet chairs, reading pre-approved messages that have gone through a correlation department and a legal department as they travel the world like religious rock stars to read things from teleprompters. When one speaks by the power of the Holy Ghost, the same thing that happened to Lehi and all the prophets of old happen. When actual prophets speak, they get mocked in public and their assassination is planned in private. When people are made rich and sit upon multi-billion dollar, if not a trillion dollar empire by now, and claim to be the witnesses of Jesus Christ, they bring condemnation upon themselves. Is that true? Is that an actual principle? 
Let's ask the Lord. Has he said something about that specifically in the covenants given unto the Latter-day Saints? Chapter 1, I mean, Doctrine and Covenants section 1, is filled with the warning that war is going to be poured out like you've never seen. Where does it start? Is there about to be a scourge and a sickness? Is there going to be men who say, be good global citizens, cover your face, put corporate manufactured poison inside of your body in response to a corporately engineered virus now spreading the earth? Be good global citizens. Hashtag hear him as they blaspheme the name of the Lord. What did the Lord have to say about this anciently? The Lord reminds us that there are many yet on the earth among all sects, parties, and denominations who are blinded by the subtle craftiness of men, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, who are only kept from the truth because they know not where to find it. Therefore, that we, I'm talking to you, the Lord says, every single one of you, anybody who would call themselves a Latter-day Saint or a disciple of Christ, that we should waste and wear out our lives in bringing to light all the hidden works of darkness wherein we know them, and they, the hidden works of darkness, are truly manifest from heaven. These should be attended to with great earnestness. Let no man count them as small things, for there is much which lieth in futurity pertaining to the saints, which depends upon these things. Which things? Wasting and wearing out our lives in exposing the hidden works of darkness. Heaven will show you. If you hear me silent for a moment, it's because I'm asking a prayer if I should share a story, and I recognize that I do not have the spiritual green light to do that. But I do have permission to let you know, if you will approach your Heavenly Father with gratitude and thanks for everything that you've received up to this point, and you ask him, Father in heaven, are there secret works of darkness right here where I live, in Idaho, in Canada, in Utah, in Australia? Are they right here among me? Heavenly Father, I believe I should be made aware. Will you please show me? I bear you my witness that the Lord can and perhaps will show you that same day life-shattering darkness which has permeated the community in which you live. So what are we to do? Repent and return. I feel inclined to simply do a wrap-up right now. Isaiah of old, the Lord promises, this repeats every bit of it. Your cities are going to be destroyed, your women left behind, it's all taken over by foreigners, but the Lord gives you a chance to repent. First Nephi chapter 1, your cities are going to be destroyed, foreigners are going to come in and take it all, you'll have nothing left, but still you have a chance to repent. Doctrine and Covenants section 1, war is going to be poured out like you've never seen, desolating scourges. But once again, like in the very first chapter of the Book of Mormon, there will once again be those who know the Lord, for they have seen his face and will bear that witness. And they will expose the hidden works of darkness and give you the opportunity to repent as the wheat continues to be separated from the tares. If you follow the Spirit, which leads people to muzzle their faces, which muzzle their children's faces, which put poison inside of their body, which gives lockdowns throughout the world, which spreads lies through all the propaganda media outlets, 
that they control and now put in a plan that they can force everybody to inject their poison into their body? If you follow that voice, if you make excuses for those promoting such a plan as they would be good global citizens, you have chosen the destruction promised by the Lord Jesus Christ in the days of old and today. But if you feel the Savior reaching out to you saying, yes, the stored clouds have gathered, it's going to be bad. But the Savior reaches out to you and says, how often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers your chickens? I know you and I love you. You've been born in this day because you've got the strength to wake up. Because you will say, I don't know what happens next, Heavenly Father. I don't know where my meal comes from. I don't know what happens to my family. But I trust in you. And I place my life and all that I have and am on the altar. When we ask, Father in heaven, will you teach me what it means to give you my broken heart and contrite spirit? Because I want to give it. You will hear his voice. And he will teach you how to offer that sacrifice in righteousness. And his promises unto you. I'll guide you. And you'll be able to say things as the Spirit authorizes you in the name of the Lord. As you and your family are protected for the destructions coming up. I bear my witness that the scriptures are true. They point to our day. The Savior is mindful of you and me personally. This witness I bear in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I do want to give the opportunity to open this up to comment or question. I'm going to stop sharing my screen as I come back over here. I believe I've done this. Boom. Mark, I'm going to invite your voice if you can, or else you can send me a message. If there are perhaps <laughs> thoughts, ideas, comments, questions, or even perhaps a dad joke or two, we might make this a part of the uh, the Q&A. We're going to start this up right now because I'm going to make this big screen. I do see a question. Dobe, 1977, is Jacob Jewish? I know that Jacob of the scriptures are Jewish. I myself have never been a part of the religion which uh, of Judaism any more than uh, any other Christian has been. But I will tell you a story. I was called as the elders quorum president of my ward in, a, in 2019. And I had my long beard even longer than you're seeing right now. And the joke was that, uh, that I was a Jewish rabbi, now becoming an elders quorum president in North Ogden. And even the general authority who was there when I got set apart as elders quorum president, um, I asked him, hey, is there a, a certain way to set apart a Jewish rabbi as an elders quorum president? And he laughed. He says, I guess we're about to find out. So Dobe 1977 is Jacob Jewish. No, but uh, I got the beard. There we go. Any other questions? Mark, feel free to put it up on the screen. If there is another question for me to ask, throw it inside of the private chat. Again, I'm, you know what? I'm going to do a little bit of something. I'm opening up the actual YouTube application because I think there's live chats going on inside of there, and I'll be able to see it. Oh, there we go. Doctrine of Christ. Let me turn the volume down all the way. And I even see my own face right there. Maybe I'm about to break the space-time continuum. Let's see here. <laughs> Paleodust. When's the last time you've studied Isaiah chapter 1? I'm going to share with you another, uh, another joke that I have. 
for those friends who are involved with me pretty, uh, pretty heavily in missionary work of teaching the doctrine of Christ and helping others know how we are to repent and return unto the Lord, one of my jokes is, when's the last time you've read Isaiah chapter one? Because I love to do that over and over again. It hits all the points right away. And the joke is that whenever I get a friend request from somebody that I don't know, I'll just hit accept, but then I'll wait. And two, <laughs> then I'll wait until two in the morning and I'll send them a random video call. And they'll say, what, what, why are you calling me now? And I'll say, hey, when's the last time you've read Isaiah chapter one? So paleo dust. When's the last time I read it? It was today and you were there. I hope you enjoyed it. There's a question that I see from Jeremy Cantor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid the last names right now just in case. It says, what was the active or the entire? Oh. Bad feedback. Okay. Do I hear another voice on here? Is somebody else with me, Mr. Uh, Mark Curtis? Jeremy is on, and he's going he's to ask the question himself and uh, and chat with you live. Here he Let's is. And I'm not hearing you right now, Jeremy. So if you can hear me, try saying it again. If by some reason. I'm not able to hear you. You can certainly type your question. Jeremy, I, I still don't hear you. So if you would type your question, give that a try unless we can figure out those difficulties. But I do see a question from Jeff Griffin, our wonderful host from these last week. What are the commandments? Now, having known Jeff, I know he likes to ask questions that force us to think of it. And I'm going to keep this particularly simplified. We do know that the children of Israel anciently, they got lost in building traditions thinking that they were following commandments. We as Latter-day Saints today, we've got the same temptation. Let's follow a whole bunch of traditions and think that it's keeping the commandments. The commandments are the instructions that we get from the Lord. I think of the young man. Jeff shared the story with me again. I love these kind of reminders. The young man in the New Testament who says, Lord, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And the Lord recites the commandments that are so common inside of the scriptures. And this young man says, all of these things have I done from my youth up? What lack I yet? And now the Savior is now giving him personal instruction. This is not to everybody else. Maybe we'd have the same one. But the Savior says to this young man distinctly, sell everything you have. Come and follow me. And the man went away sorrowing because he had great possessions. So what are the commandments? It's the instructions that we have from the Lord. Much of it we can and should glean from the scriptures, from the words of the Savior Jesus Christ himself and his actual prophets. When we keep all these things, approach the Lord in faith and say, Lord, I've done my best. What lack I yet? He will give us instructions and we keep them. So Jeff, I hope that answers that question. That's the way that I see it. I'm looking at N. BK0011. Why is this no longer taught and avoided? I'm going to need a little bit more insight. Do our leaders know this? Are they willing and leading us astray? I am new to this and I am seeking. So NBK, give me a moment. I don't know if I can do this. What I'm doing right now, I pause for a moment and I'm going to ask Heavenly Father how I should answer this. Do our leaders know this? Are they willingly leading us astray? There's a pattern that comes into my mind that I'm trying to be guided by the Spirit. The pattern is this. Whenever the Lord establishes his work, Satan comes in right away. Think about Adam and Eve, and within the first generation, Satan and his minions go out with their influence saying, believe it not. What your father Adam is telling you about hearing the voice of the Lord, following it, receiving his baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost, and being redeemed, 
Believe it not. What happened in the days of Abraham? Well, as we read the book of Abraham, translated by Joseph Smith, we see that Abraham is born into a completely apostate society. His father is about to have him sacrificed. So once again, full-blown apostasy after the covenant is established. What about in the days of Isaiah? Once again, a covenant people of the Lord lose it all. They're led by leaders who are leading them to death and destruction. What about in the days of Jesus Christ? If you followed the established leaders in the days of Jesus Christ, rather than Jesus Christ, you were led to death and destruction. Is it any different for us today? I'll bear my witness that Moroni knew what he was saying and had authorization from Jesus Christ to look us in the face from the dust through the pages of the Book of Mormon and say, you Latter-day Saints, I've seen you and I know you're doing. Jesus has shown you unto me your pollutions. We're commanded in Ether chapter 8. I'm going to open it up right now so I can read it. I'm not going to share it on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you because in, in answering the question, do the leaders know? Well, the Savior knows, and he warned us about the leaders. The Savior Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount says, beware of false prophets. On the outside, they're going to look like harmless sheep. On the inside, they are ravening wolves. By their fruits, ye shall know them. Have any of those men testified to you or the Latter-day Saints openly? The Lord has called me into his presence, and thus saith the Lord as I have spoken to him. If they have never borne witness of that, they're telling you they are not prophets. They're leaders. But a prophet is somebody who's been called into the presence of the Lord and bears that witness. Remember the commission to the newly called 1835 members of the Quorum of the Twelve, whose callings were not complete. Their ordination was not complete until they saw the face of God. Will not one of them ever bore witness of having their calling and ordination complete by knowing God the way the scriptures tell us to? It is difficult to believe that they are ignorant of the worldwide slavery they are seeking to impose with the current lockdowns, which will not let up. There will be ups and downs and new waves as it turns into heavy, full-blown worldwide tyranny. There's strong indication that not only are they aware of it, they promote it from every pulpit. So I hope that answered the question. I'm seeing home tip shop. Is the prophet speaking for the Lord when he tells us to get vaccinated? I'm going to put it right upon you. I'm not going to say that for you. I'm going to tell you this. The Lord has told you repeatedly. He's willing to make it known unto you. There's a process by which you can know. You might say, Heavenly Father, is the prophet... First, you got to ask yourself, the prophet? Who are you talking about when you say the prophet? Is it somebody who has borne witness to you and to the Latter-day Saints? Thus saith the Lord, because he showed me, like Lehi of old and Jeremiah of old and Isaiah of old and even Joseph Smith. He showed me the same way, and I'm to tell you. Does he make any sort of claim? Or does he read his pronouncements that are pre-approved? by a correlation committee and a legal department as he reads it from a teleprompter. I'll let you know. I actually know um, President Nelson's teleprompter uh, operator. He's a good man with a really cool German name. I'm not going to say his name. But this man travels the world with President Nelson 
to operate as teleprompter. Do people speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost in days of old by reading from a teleprompter? They're simply inspired at the moment as the Holy Ghost moves on them. So my recommendation to you, if you're going to ask the Lord, Heavenly Father, does President Nelson represent you, God Almighty, in telling us to get vaccinated? Perhaps the Lord will say, study it out in your mind first. Perhaps you'll receive an impression of sources to study until you recognize that you're forming an opinion one way or the other, and you will present your conclusion to the Lord, in which case you are much more likely to recognize a confirmation or a denial that that comes from God. So I won't answer that for you, but I have full confidence that you can know it for yourself. I see Jeremy Cantor. You can go ahead and take off your mute button. Feel free to ask me whatever you want, good sir. Still see your mute button. Ooh, there we go. Go ahead. One of the questions I had is, is if we have the restored gospel back on earth, and Joseph Smith, uh, we do believe is a prophet, um, are the missionaries that are going out performing his works? And give me some insight. Who are you referring to as the missionaries? The missionaries uh, in the LDS. The wee youngins with white shirts and ties. And name badges and companions and all that other good stuff. Well, let me open a little bit of this. Great question. Anything else you want to add on to it before I, before I take a swing at it? And that's the pitch. Okay. So we do know the doctrine of Christ, which for the most part has been um, simply glossed over in my young days as a, as a white shirt and tie wearing clean shaven young missionary. I would gloss over those things and I would simply repeat what I memorized in the, in the discussions. I don't know how much different it is now, but I would ask these missionaries who go out most commonly at age 18 right now, do they teach people? You have to repent of your sins, give them up, enter the new and everlasting covenant of offering God, your broken heart and contrite spirit, follow Jesus into the waters of baptism, showing him your willingness to give your broken heart and contrite spirit. And when you do that, you will be baptized by fire and by the Holy ghost. I am, I am left to recall my own missionary days, and I simply believe that putting my hands on somebody's head and saying, receive the Holy Ghost, was the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost. I'm not going to turn this into me doing a full-blown scripture chain because there's enough podcasts. If anybody here is wondering, what do you mean? I didn't receive the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost when I got, or when I got confirmed a member of the church. I'm going to let you know this. In 3 Nephi chapter 9, it describes what actually happens unmistakably the fire of God purges the sins out of you as you become sealed to Jesus Christ. It happened to a group collectively in Mosiah chapter five, when they heard the words that Mosiah spoke by the power and authority of the Holy ghost, letting the people know an angel told me this last night. I'm telling you when he said those words, his people fell to the ground. They had a revelation. One of the things revealed to them is that, we all recognize we are lower than the dust of the earth. We recognize our lost and fallen nature, our helpless state. And the next thing revealed unto them, we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now that they became baptized by fire and by the Holy Ghost, they said, we're redeemed. 
We can prophesy of all things if it's necessary. So I would ask of you some of the same words of Alma. Have you felt to sing the song of redeeming love? Have you heard angels singing into your heart and your ears? And you feel your own voice rise up with theirs to shout praises unto the Holy One of Israel. Do you feel your heart and your mind opened by the Savior Jesus Christ as you become able to speak with the tongue of angels? If you have not experienced that, you may know of a surety you have not received the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost. And you must ask your Heavenly Father, well, what do I have to do? Then you follow his voice. Jeremy Cantor, thank you so much for that question. Looking, I'm okay with these moments of silence. I'm looking to see if there's another question right there. I see somebody says one, two, three, and M. Neal has a good question. <gasps> Let's see. Oh, here we go. He is going to be an awesome street preacher. Oh, I, I know how to project my voice. I used to perform guitar out in the out in the middle of many different cities. Let's see if I get street preaching. One, two, three, M. Neil, how do you personally distinguish your personal bias versus revelations from God? I'm not sure I can tell the difference. Jeez Louise, that's a good question. If you haven't noticed, I'm a particularly enthusiastic individual. And this is not an act that I put on because the camera is rolling. It's easy for me to say, Heavenly Father, do you want me to do such and such? Because I really want to do it. And it's dangerous for me to jump straight into it myself. And I've learned by sad experience, sad, sad experience, that too much of the time, I'm led by my own enthusiasm. So how do you personally distinguish bias from revelation from God? It's generally like this. Heavenly Father, I'm trying to learn such and such principle. I believe it means this. I've started it out and I'm presenting my mind to you. Is this the right way to look at it? I pay attention to the thoughts, ideas, impressions, and I say, Heavenly Father, I think it's the right way, but forgive me for my weakness because I don't know how to hear your voice. So please let me plant this as a seed in my heart. If this is a true seed from you, will you please help it to grow so I can distinguish it apart from my own desires and enthusiasm? And as I've been diligent in doing that every single time, one of two things happen. There it goes. Sometimes I read the scripture. Sometimes I see a story where all of a sudden, Heavenly Father, there's new data points, and it's leading in this direction, and it feels like it's growing. Heavenly Father, is this you telling me that the idea that I had did come from you? And maybe then I can feel a confirmation. Or I'll recognize, Heavenly Father, as I present this to you again, it didn't grow at all. Not only that, but there's some more data points that I came across that seem to come against it. And as I present this to you again, I think I had the wrong idea. Am I hearing your voice? So that's the main reason, that's the main reason, uh, main way that I can distinguish between my own desires and enthusiasm. So I'm not good at it. I don't feel like an infant struggling to crawl anymore, but I do feel like a toddler who stumbles regularly. William, how can I become a true disciple of Jesus Christ? Tell him. I, it's pretty nice when there's really, a, there's good people that are waking up and are following Jesus Christ, and it's great to have association with them. But we are not disciples of one another. We are brothers with one another. As we come to know others, present yourself to Jesus Christ 
over and over again. And it does not matter wherever we're at, as long as we present ourselves to him with no hypocrisy and no guile, we can be his disciple. We're all blatantly lost sinners. There's times when I myself, when I myself, even this very day before starting this broadcast, I kneel down in my garage and I say, hey, Heavenly Father, I sin over and over again. You've called me to be better and I'm not, and I can't make it without you. I ask you to please apply the atoning blood of Jesus Christ and let me try again. So my, my counsel to that question, and you can receive a lot more than I can, William. That, that's the reality. My only counsel is present yourself to Jesus Christ with no hypocrisy and no guile and ask him to carry you. And then he'll teach you how to follow him. Thank you, William. And I, I especially enjoyed that question from, from uh, 123M Neil. Any last questions? There's the prompt on there. I hope it's good. If there's a last question, it had better be a good one. In case you're wondering, the beard is fake. I, I just ordered it on Amazon, free two-day delivery. I figured I'm going to be on camera. Let's go ahead and put it on. So let's go ahead and bring this to an end. I'm grateful for the opportunity. The reality is I don't get to see any faces, but throughout this, I feel a connection with you. I appreciate anybody who offered any prayers silently on my behalf. Be a part of the discussion. Doctrine of Christ page on Facebook. Invite your peeps. Invite your friends. Invite your family. Ask your bishop. Show him this presentation and say, Bishop, is this really how things are? I like it. Heck, I'll come and join you. We'll have a discussion in person. But thank you so much. To continue, go to the Doctrine of Christ. Go to doctrineofchrist.com slash join and click the Tuesday link. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.